You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I am Jessica. I am Carissa. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that, but who cares? <laughs> but we've got a topic today. I think you had a client or someone on Instagram hit you up about this. Yes, I did. Yeah. So we're going to talk about longevity for a healthy heart, which means we're going to be diving into cardiovascular health and feel personally this is a space when you're younger and maybe if I was to stereotype I'd think that the people listening to this podcast might not think this really relates to them because I think that when people think about healthy heart and cardiovascular health I think it's an old person's issue do you think that's what yeah I think. I think so I think it's something that everyone thinks they don't need to worry about until they're 50 plus or 60 plus like everyone's like ah heart health cardiovascular health like realistically i don't need to think about that now because i'm young and i'm fit and i'm healthy yeah yeah exactly Hmm. i feel like this is an area where people tend to be concerned about their cardiovascular health when they typically would take themselves off to the doctor and have some maybe routine bloods done and it comes back with some high cholesterol or they have their blood pressure taken and then they start to think about it. But there's not much thought about this system, I feel, than that. Maybe, I know when I was popping some notes together for this, I was thinking about things like arrhythmias and um, sort of like heart palpitations and those sorts of conditions, which are a little, not rare, but you know, in younger people, there may be some of those things going on. But typically... Yeah, I think it tends to relate more to those common areas like BP and cholesterol that people think about and then not beyond that. And I really want us to dive a bit deeper into that today and talk about why we should be considering a cardiovascular health at a younger age or at any age. It's not an old person's condition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I also think um, thinking about like just stripping back from all of the stuff that we're going to talk about today but literally just thinking about the health the cardiovascular system but even just your heart as a muscle um Mm -hmm. and obviously we're going to talk about like the cardiovascular system and the blood vessels and weight management all the things we're going to talk about hopefully if we get there (laughs) without vaguing out because it's friday but thinking about our, our heart as a muscle and you know, and just even from an early age, like you want to look after that. Like, you know, I think it gets so segregated. Like we spend so much time working on our physique as humans, which essentially Mm. involves a lot of muscle training and lean muscle building and, and body fat percentage control, but that we shouldn't segregate the heart from that, I think is, is probably a really good way to look at it as well. It essentially is a muscle and it does, Mm. it needs, it needs the right amount of nutrients to function properly and to get the best out of it long-term. It needs, you know, the right, um, like metabolic weight balance, like in terms of why we think about so much to do with like cardiovascular health and even weight and all of that in terms of healthy versus unhealthy weight areas. But, you know, your heart has all of that that needs to be considered as well. And it's not something we want to wait till the end stage game where you're Mm. 75 or 85 or 95 and, you know, you get told you have a cardiovascular issue when you're 50 and then you're trying to backpedal from that in the time of your years where things are starting to slow down and they're a little bit more tired. So I feel Mm -hmm. like like perimenopause, um, it's something you want to start working on as soon as you can. Like just keeping in mind that you want to you want to live well and truly, you know, this beautiful, strong, healthy, fit life well and truly into your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s if the universe permits, you know. And if you think about this stuff in your 20s and your 30s, then that's definitely 100% a possibility. So, yeah, yeah, so true. And the fact you just some of the things you said there sort of outlining the cardiovascular system itself as far as like what makes them up and how we how we think about those as Mm. a muscle um, and then 
how we think about perhaps those arteries and those veins. Because when we talk about the cardiovascular system, that's what we're talking about. We're talking mm. about that muscle and those arteries and those veins um, and primarily how they function to pump blood around your body. And then, of course, that what's, ca- mm. what's carried within that is nutrients, oxygen, um, Obviously, without it, you would be dead, like something else we talked about last podcast. A lot of talk about death if you don't do the right things, apparently. We're not about creating fear, people, but if you don't do this, you will die. Yeah, I think think everyone hopefully understands that if your heart isn't healthy, you're not in a good spot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the, that's the system that we're talking about, but I love what you're highlighting there is that this is a system that we can be supporting and nourishing from a young age so that as we age and as we may not be as mobile, although that's another story because I'd like to think people can be mobile into their their elderly age, but as you're getting into a certain age bracket that you have that, that strong foundation, you have that strong muscle you have those nice healthy arteries and veins Mm. um, that aren't having that propensity to being clogged or um you know stiff yes (laughs) yeah yeah so shall we talk a little bit about um some of those signs and symptoms that we see in this area and moving from some we've already mentioned that are really common through to some of the signs and symptoms that your cardiovascular system may need some support or some investigation that you may not think about. Um, So we did mention the classic common ones like having a high blood pressure, which mostly people will know if they've been off to the doctor and had that checked. The other common one we see heaps of with routine blood testing at the clinic is cholesterol, um, which is probably another podcast on its own as far as high cholesterol and where these these, uh, brackets sit for cholesterol, your HDL versus your LDL. We might talk a little bit about that later on, but they'd be some of those, those common end ones. Besides then, I would say those functional factors when people start actually getting signs of like, arrhythmias and um, palpitations and so forth. Mm. But do you want to talk about some of the other things? Like war- we... warning signs for cardiovascular? Yeah, it's just some of those yeah. other sort of signs and symptoms that we might see that we we kind of flag and go, oh, mm. we need to maybe consider what's going on here and how this might be impacting your cardiovascular system. Absolutely, Jess. I'm so glad you asked. Well... <laughs> So, I... What about when people say, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. That's a great question. Thanks for asking. Let me do my best to answer that appropriately for you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, watching some of those things, those work memes and stuff, I follow some of those pages that are just hilarious, like totally off topic for a second. But where like you can give back your answer appropriately for a question someone in the workplace asked you like something yeah. like and you're like I'm sorry that's just not it within my job description right now perhaps you'd like to talk to me yes. <laughs> and I just watch some of them and I'm pissing myself laughing or like best regards in an email actually means and then I'm like we all put best regards <laughs> anyway it's totally off topic um so if we're looking at cardiovascular risk and I think obviously for our for our clinic environment we'll use us specifically it's not something a lot of people come into us for however Mm, however i definitely have had some people that specifically come to me and it might be a 52 year old bloke or uh you know 55 year old woman who's just finished menopause and she wants to specifically work on her cardiovascular health and that is so fine so 100 we just go into that and that is just an area that we can treat. It's something that we can treat so beautifully with nutrition, which I absolutely love. And we're gonna, we'll talk about that. But I think the other things that we're looking at from a risk factor point of view, um, when someone comes into the clinic for us is all these other things that, you know, that we probably wanna start working on in our earlier stage of life, like in our 20s, 30s and 40s, so that when you get to your 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s, that if you deal with this stuff um, and and see the red flags and work in that preventative health space, you can really get a lot of cardiovascular stuff under control or at least really well managed. So family family risk or family or genetic risk is a huge one for cardiovascular disease. So 
I always will, and we do this with our client intake forms, but I always talk to people about their family and the health of their family, like especially mm. if I know someone physically comes into the clinic and I can tell the way they carry their weight, the way they stress, the type of exercise that they do or if they're not doing exercise, whether or not they're already potentially got some cardiovascular risk factors happening. Um, and then I talk about their family health. So if you have heart attack in your family, if you have stroke in your family, if you have high blood pressure in your family, if you have type 2 diabetes in your family, if you have obesity or central adiposity, I hate that word. But anyway, that's sort of, you know, like there's so many things just in that space that, you know, we look at and go, okay, cool, these are potential risk factors and genetic risk factors. So it's something we want to pay more attention to for you as an individual. But then too, like for my like clients, if they come in, I'm flagging a few things about from an inflammatory point of view, like mm. definitely weight, I think is a big one. Yeah. And you don't have to be necessarily obese or morbidly obese to have a cardiovascular risk according to your weight. So, mm -hmm. so much of cardiovascular risk is about how, where and where and why you carry weight in certain areas. Um, the classic one is, um, and it's for women and men, but it's that real, is it this, I always get them yeah, confused, visceral. But the visceral fat yeah. Yeah. around your tummy area. Like yeah. that's where all of your main organs are housed. And a little bit of fat and a little bit of cushioning is okay, but you don't want that. My sister calls it her front hump, but <laughs> she doesn't have, by the way. Um, but it's kind of stuck with me. But you don't want that sort of real classic pinned weight in that in your central area like that you know mm -hmm. where it's actually like a couple of almost layers you know and the rest for some people the rest of them might be quite athletically fit but they they've high stress or anything like that or cortisol or insulin typically drives weight in that area so that's mm -hmm. a real classic telltale for any sort of you know cardiovascular risk where people carry their weight um mm -hmm. and and then i and then I just mentioned it before there too, but stress and insulin yeah. and cortisol yeah. are huge for cardiovascular risk. Like there's just so much in the weight side of things and the type of fat that people carry and where they carry it, but also how their insulin responds and how their cortisol responds. And I know I've chatted in other podcasts about the insulin and cortisol relationship, but we've chatted about it more in relation to weight and hunger signals and all of that. But mm. long-term, if that is not looked after and is not managed properly, we're looking at a massive cardiovascular risk. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because that's massive. Huge. Um, that like ongoing extreme stress. I mean, yeah. you see that, I know I can think off the top of my head of quite a few clients straight away where I've seen that direct relationship between high stress and just that and something. Weight. Yeah, weight, but also I'd say even things like blood pressure, like as far as even that like really strong adrenaline surge mm. that their body is constantly dealing with. And I've literally seen when they've mm. shifted that stressor or we've given support to their body in relation to that type of stress, how it's helped dial that blood pressure down. Like they're actually, yeah, that, that stress is literally driving that pressure up like mm. there's that just really um like direct response so it's such a and a really important one if you layer that like you said on top of like if you see that amount of stress on top of someone that also has that like sort of central adiposity or that mm. like sort of fat deposition around those organs mm. then we're really starting to create a more dangerous environment and and there's a couple of things i just want to even go into that like you probably the way you sort of said like driving that stress and that blood pressure up like that for me that kind of brings us back to this whole misunderstanding of the cholesterol picture as well yes. like i think yep. we really need again this comes back to treating the body holistically and systemically not just looking at the heart as an isolated organ and cholesterol as an isolated biomarker and pathology and insulin as an isolated hormone like if you are someone whose blood pressure is constantly up and you are constantly stressed mm. and your adrenals are constantly pumping up cortisol, what mm. that does is it signals all of these receptors in your body and dials up the pressure and that increased pumping and that increased blood, blood flow and that increased even viscosity of your blood mm -hmm. completely changes the wear and tear on your arterial walls, which essentially is your cardiovascular system. So mm -hmm. just kind of think of like, I explain it to people, like think of it like a little, like all of your arteries and veins 
as like, you know, they're, they're kind of almost like the intestines in a sense. Like they, they are these, you know, they're not these rigid structures that you can just pump high volumes of stuff through and they're not going to crack. They're not a concrete pole or a concrete pipe or a PVC pipe. They are, they're, 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 they're like more fluid in their, their like um, physical makeup and they can only handle like shit being pumped through them at a million miles an hour for so long before they start to crack and tear and there's damage yeah. to those you know the lining inside of that and that's where inflammation starts to occur that's where we see a rise in cholesterol because obviously cholesterol's main function in the body is to go in and plaque it's trying to protect you so if your cholesterol mm. is slightly high or high for a period of time we're not just going to try and bring it down with statins we want to look at why like what is the pressure on your cardiovascular system why are you so stressed that cholesterol needs to be upregulated? Yeah. is it a gut issue is it a liver issue are you so stressed with your work are you having high inflammatory foods are you drinking too much are you smoking too much like there's all these things and i think that comes back to what the stress is but whatever is driving that stress response up and dialing up that cortisol and blood pressure is what's putting long-term pressure on the cardiovascular system and that's where we're looking at cardiovascular disease at mm -hmm. end stage so you can do so much in the preventative years to not have that yeah so well said Thanks. i think we could probably just finish there podcast done have a good friday we're going to the pub <laughs> Speaking of de-stressing, it is beer time. <laughs> well, you brought up there about the cholesterol as a marker or one marker one that's marker. often looked at. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit further because, as you said, it's just one specific marker that is very honed in on, particularly in a sort of more standard medical mm. model. Um, and then really just looked at very insular, very on its own as far as then like managing, driving that down with some statins or, you know, perhaps someone is told, okay, your cholesterol's high. I need to send you off. Like you've got to lose weight and you've got to move your body. Like it might be those two things from their GP, pretty standard. But as you just so well highlighted, what we need to do is we need to look at, besides other markers we want to talk about that are very crucial in this area that we would be looking at we want to look at the whys why why is that cholesterol high because it's it will be symptomatic of something else going on and i don't know how many times i have seen and again we do get i guess a bias selection of the community come to us with the gut space but i constantly see that raised cholesterol that in um, struggling liver function because of a very inflamed gut environment putting mm. pressure back onto these detoxification organs like it's super super common that i'll see that type of response happening mm. where again as you highlighted it's like where where's that inflammation coming from like what's driving that up so we really want to be looking at it and understanding the why so we can yeah. treat that effectively i also i also like to i, th I don't know if it, and i think it will change i think the parameters for cholesterol will change a bit as well because i think the yeah. focus has been on low cholesterol and super low cholesterol is better and i think Agreed. i don't think that is necessarily the correct approach i think and i hope that as literature and research changes around the understanding of the mechanism of cholesterol and cardiovascular function and insulin you know, functional insulin resistance and all of that, that we might find that there's actually a, a broader range for where healthy, where cholesterol levels are mm. considered healthy, taken into context with some of these other markers. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like I have a big chat to my dad about this because he's, he's obviously on a statin. His cholesterol, when he walked into a GP at the age of 50, never had blood tests in his life. I think I've said this on the podcast before, was 12.8. Like the GP's like, how are you not fucking dead, mate? Like... You know, so natural response was they did give him diet and lifestyle stuff, which was cool. Like, and he did drastically change his diet. Like, he, this is a guy who was probably eating a block of cheese every two days and chugging <laughs> back two liters of milk and, you know, pies at the smoker, you know, standard. He wasn't a tradie mm -hmm. at the time, but he come from that tradie sort of, you know, background. Mm -hmm. And even though we always ate good dinners as a family, there's definitely a lot of stuff there, you know, lots of refined carbohydrates. Yeah. And so he did drastically change his diet, like change to olive oil instead of cooking with super, super fry or whatever. <laughs> it's just so, so he did do a lot. He also went on a statin though. And, um, but yeah, like it was interesting now, like I still talk to dad about it. Cause he's like, I don't know if I still need to be on this statin yeah. because he yeah. has lost weight and he walks most days and he's, he's always been physically active. My dad, I think that probably is his saving grace that he's always been a very fit bloke. 
Um, so cardiovascularly wise, his heart's probably really good. Mm, Do you know what I mean? Mm. So even though he's always been fit, so he's, and this is where exercise comes into healthy exercise of those arterial and cardiovascular vessels and things like that. But anyway, so, but then there's so many other things that we want to look at with cholesterol as well. Like, you know, you can't just put someone on a statin and bring their cholesterol down mm. and go, well, that's all right. Your cholesterol's low now. You don't really have a cardiovascular yeah, risk. Because, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And so I, you know, there's so many other things. Like we obviously look at blood pressure. Um, I look at inflammatory markers in bloods as well. Like aside yeah. from cholesterol, looking at like your ESR and your CRP. Yeah. I, everyone knows I fucking love homocysteine for so yeah. many reasons. But if I ever needed a GP to budge on reasons for checking homocysteine i'll just pull the cardiovascular yeah card. that's what i hear right because that's what they will link it to that's what they will link like, it why do they to. want homocysteine done oh there's this genetic predisposition to like cardiovascular disease and they're like oh okay yeah literally right so like it is a good marker for your cardiovascular risk but when you think about the methionine cycle and where homocysteine sits in that like I, we look at it so much from an inflammation of course and you know, um, detoxification and breakdown, you know, methylation, all of this sort of point of view with um, homocysteine, but it is a called cardiovascular risk marker. Like yeah. it's great. So what I always say to people, if you really want to understand your cardiovascular risk, understand your cholesterol, understand mm-hmm. your insulin, understand, you know, so do your, you know, your fasting blood glucose in your, in a yep. blood test, understand that, understand your weight, your body fat percentage, do your homocysteine, your inflammatory markers. And if you are concerned and there is a strong family risk, the gold standard of testing now is a calcium score. Like how, you know, like if you're worried about a heart attack or a stroke or something like that, you know, obviously B12 super important too for blood and stroke and cardiovascular and all of that, but like calcium score testing and a stress test, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? See what, you know, and that's, it's interesting because I was listening to some podcasts, oh God, it's probably like six months ago now where they had some of the good cardiologists, like the top cardiologists are really yeah. up to date in their field, not just about cholesterol. And they were really chatting about calcium scores. And I remember talking to dad about that saying, have you had that done? He's like, yeah, my calcium score is good. And so for everyone who yeah. doesn't kind of know what a calcium score is, it's just literally the buildup of calcification in your arteries. So mm-hmm. if you have a good cholesterol marker, or even a slightly high cholesterol, but your calcium score is close, I think it's close to zero or I don't know exactly what the parameters are, your cardiovascular risk is so much less than someone who might be on a statin to keep their cholesterol good but hasn't had a calcium score done and when they do, it's high. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You have, no one's addressed that calcification of the arteries or the statin has brought the cholesterol down but the calcification is still there. So mm-hmm. it's understanding all of it at once and looking at all of these markers to really understand your cardiovascular risk and your, your likelihood of a cardiovascular event. So mm-hmm. No, that's, that's great. I think what you've highlighted there too is just the more succinct look at other inflammatory Mm. drivers um the other one that i'll often i can't remember if you mentioned it i'll often look at in this context particularly if i'm suspect about even that liver component on its own is the enzymes liver enzymes in conjunction with what's going on with the cholesterol and I think clinically I see this a lot where you can mm. see that there is um, this this essentially like this liver stress that's happening. Mm. So um, most most clients will look at that cholesterol because they've been it, – it's so well sort of known. They'll look at that cholesterol and that's all they'll see. And um, I guess I'm sort of going back again because I think about what you're saying about your dad. Mm. Like a lot of clients will instantly be like – but I, you know, I eat well. I don't eat high fat. I don't eat mm. high cholesterol. Should I stop eating eggs? Like, which we'll talk about it when we get to diet. But <laughs> there's there's a lot of thought about that again in this very insular space. But when you look at it in context with these other markers that Chris is just mentioning, but um, yeah, I'd say liver enzymes would be something in context. And then the other, which maybe this thought starts to fall back into functional testing i sort of had a question mark about that i was curious to see what you said because i was thinking more about this from the stress component like if we i mean we can you should as a practitioner be talking to your clients about this and understanding the level of stress that they're under but even from a blood test routine blood test we could also be running with that some looking into cortisol we Mm. could be looking at some of your I guess even things like what's happening with um, your other hormone panels to see some basic rudimentary information but potentially do we go 
a little further um, from a functional testing point of view, is there anything that we would look at there to tell us more? Um, but I just, I feel like when it comes to that stress component and how much of that sort of driving force of that mm. is going on, it's probably a very, very crucial, honest conversation to be having with a yeah. client. Yeah. But yeah, what are your thoughts with functional testing? Because I was like, was there anything I would, I, mean, I feel like we've listed a lot of good ones, but yeah. I didn't know whether you would think about some sort of genetic markers. There's or... definitely there's definitely genetic markers. I can't think of the exact genes, no. like, but when you do a genetic panel, um, and I've done this with a couple of my clients that are more interested just in aging well, um, in terms of, yeah, like they know that they've got a bit of type two diabetes in their family and cardiovascular risk, like you, the in depending on who you do genetic testing through there, there definitely is, um, your cardiovascular risk section. So your yeah. um, um, APO, what's the big gene that they were, I can't even think of it now. Anyway, yeah, I wouldn't have a clue. <sighs> yeah, the there's, there's a, there's a heat, but there's your cardiovascular ones, which are all involved. It's basically, and again, it comes back to your inflammatory markers. So yep. there's all of your, how you deal with inflammation is really important for cardiovascular risk. Um, your methylation markers are really important for cardiovascular risk. Um, and then there's some specific ones that have to do with heart, cholesterol, uh, all of that. Um, vitamin B12, like your, um, your transporters for your B12 oh, yeah. are crazy important for yeah. cardiovascular, but also crazy important for stroke risk and stuff like that yeah. as well. So I say to, yeah, there's so much from a functional testing point. Genetics is probably the best one to look at because you can understand just even for someone who's like, well, I eat well and I exercise and I maintain a healthy body weight, do I need to take supplements? And if yeah. you come back and you've got a genetic panel that does not favor heart health and cardiovascular health, then fucking oath, I would be like, let's just put you on that extra bit of support that supports this enzyme to function better and supports yeah. fat metabolism better and all of that because yeah. sometimes diet and lifestyle is not enough if you know like it definitely yeah. will 100 percent help but a little bit of extra assistance won't go go astray so yeah i was um, thinking about too but again i would this would be more in context with the client and those other factors we've mm. listed as far as what they're presenting to you with and how yeah how their overall body composition sits xyz all the things we talked about but i even think when you look at like a dutch test particularly with that cortisol, cortisol component and yeah, see what the cortisol is doing and then with a dutch they have those obviously now that well we say obviously people wouldn't know <laughs> with it we have some organic acid markers that are yeah tapered onto the end of that now so we can look at like what your adrenaline and your noradrenaline's doing and your dopamine Eight. response like we could get an idea strongly of how like dialed up that response yeah. is overall yeah. and then if we're seeing some even if you did look at the hormonal component we could see how your detoxification maybe mm, going nice. so there's there's some things there but again i wouldn't like sort of like routinely throw that no, test just, just yeah, someone it's just, just i was kind of more curious about even um, your um the... even your 80hd like which is right at the end of the dutch like dutch test so your 80hd i think it's 80hd i think that's what it is oh anyway, yeah yeah that, that um, it's an oxidative stress yeah, marker yeah. like yeah that's a goodie that's a great one like yeah. if you're someone who is stressed to the max and you're churning out four hydroxy estrogens like a mofo and your adrenaline <laughs> do you know what i mean and your yeah. you know and maybe and that yeah that glutathione marker that glutathione well. marker yeah. yeah and you know and you're you've got you're, you're a poor methylator or you've got poor or sluggish phase two detox and you've got yeah. a snip on your compt enzyme straight up yeah without even yeah. doing genetic testing and looking at your bloods like you have cardiovascular risk you have inflammatory yeah. risk therefore you have cardiovascular risk so yeah the other thing i was going to say too even just with your standard bloods is just the health of your red blood cells like just True. your like Ooh, it, yes yeah like you, yeah just your blood your, your blood red your red blood cells matter so much in, with your cardiovascular function like these guys need to be fat robust healthy little motherfucking oxygen transporters because if you are not getting oxygen and nutrients to your peripherals like you know so yeah. your main arteries and and blood flow is obviously a lot easier because those vessels are so much wider for transporting things through but you then you have your microvascular system which is obviously you know your it ties in with your brain it ties in it just ties in there's so much microvascular circulation that happens at your heart and if you have inflammation and those little micro you know vascular systems start to clog up or you don't have sufficient 
healthy red blood cells with carrying oxygen around like those my, my the microvascular system starts to die i know that yeah. sounds horrible but if it's not getting nutrients it starts yeah. to it starts to die whether it's through calcification or whether it's through just lack of nutrients like that's a really yeah. your microvascular system is so important to look after and it's yeah. you know and that's you know so b12 red cell folate or just you know folate obviously iron um yeah. you know your three big nutrients that again you want to stay on top of so yeah yeah no that's that's a really good point yeah mm. that and even just that breakdown yeah as, of the, all those red blood cells as far as like their mm. volume and mm. getting an idea of like little whether plump babies yeah yeah it's <laughs> a little so much we can see there it's definitely a, a really ex, well <laughs> exciting if you're a nerd but it's an exciting <laughs> space in regard to how much you can pull out of good thorough just good, routine blood, blood testing Absolutely. in conjunction with really good case taking and understanding yeah. a client so yeah it's pretty cool yeah um there was something else i was thinking out about testing wise but it's just gone so it yeah might come back to me let's move on to support so say we know there's a potential risk factor um or something going on or maybe you just want to do the right thing and <laughs> maybe you just want to give a fuck about your cardiovascular system. That's it. <laughs> I highly recommend that you do. <laughs> so as always, we're going to say broken record of we want you to have good foundations first. So let's just say that's kind of done and dusted and aside. Let's talk firstly, oh, shall we talk about food? Let's talk about diet and what you're choosing to eat every yeah, day. So I think that's a great one. <sighs> Where Basically. to even start? Oh, let's There's, just... I guess, <laughs> so I'm going to start in the like the include side as yeah. opposed to the exclude side. But when it comes to this space, um, there's... There's a lot of the foods that you may have already heard about. I guess first I always think about our beautiful omegas um, and making sure that we're including a lot of omega-3 rich foods um, as an anti-inflammatory. We've talked so much about inflammation today um, and we know that that does help with that classic ratio of LDL to HDL, which is why it's just been so heavily used and even like GPs will recommend good quality fish. I think last episode, Carissa definitely gave us some solid words on why you need to buy quality fish oil, which is more supplement based. But from a food perspective, this is an area where we'd be encouraging clients to ensure they're having oily fish in their diet. I like at least three times a week. And I always say to clients when I say that, I'm not saying you have to have it for dinner three nights a week. It can be for dinner and then it might be for lunch the next day. People freak out about leftover fish. I do it all the time and I'm not dead. Um, or it might be some tin fish with lunch <laughs> later on in the week. Um, sardines, salmon, tuna, cod, like oily, oily fish. Mackerel, Beautiful. yeah. Amazing. Um, so I just want to get that one out of the way. But Chris also talked about like our micronutrients as well. And I think this is where it's kind of hard without just saying, just eat a really good whole food balanced yeah, diet. You're going to get everything, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, agree. But, but all of those phytochemicals. But Kel I would say calcium and magnesium. And we did a podcast on calcium and dairy. But these two, these two particular nutrients are so important for regulating muscular contraction. You'll... We will use them in a supplemental form. I'm jumping around a bit here between supplements, but we'll often use them in formulations, particularly a high dose of magnesium for relaxation of those vessels, relaxation, particularly from a stress component. And we mm. see drastic, I know I've seen drastic responses there when that is hitting the nail on the head, particularly with like really quick markers like blood pressure. But making sure you're consuming a good amount of leafy greens and different types of nuts and seeds. And when it comes to your calcium, mm -hmm. if you are, um, obviously there's the dairy free thing in the previous podcast, but we can look at all our different calcium alternatives with our fish with the bones in them and our tahinis and our almonds and our, uh, like, again, go back and refer to that podcast. So they're, they're two that come to my mind as well. Um, how about yourself before I keep rabbiting on? Yeah, no, I, I feel like, yeah, you covered, yeah, covered it. Calcium, magnesium, 
um, micronutrients. Sorry, I went off topic because I started thinking about something else there now. Okay. <laughs> well, the um, other, of course, you mentioned when we're talking about the blood cells, right? So the yeah. other massive one here is like your iron, iron your B12, B12 rich foods. If we know that we've got deficiencies there with mm. the diet um, mm. or if we've seen that in bloods, that's something from a food point of view we want to make sure you're getting enough of those iron-rich foods and B12. So if you are vegetarian, vegan, um, yeah, we want to make sure that you're getting enough of those foods in alternate spaces or particularly with B12. If you can't, you need to be supplementing um, accordingly. And again, we've got, oh my God, I'm giving myself lots of <laughs> extra work here. We do have a podcast on how to be a healthy vegan. So if yeah. that resonates with you, please go and listen to that podcast. Yeah. Um, are we doing supplements or food? Are we just kind of doing food. doing food. food? Yeah, but it's kind of like more food. Like more food, yeah. Because <laughs> I just when you were saying microcirculation, then I was thinking about coenzyme Q10, even just as a, like a supplement for cardiovascular health. You say good fish, olive oil. I was just thinking. Oh my god, like, how did I forget olive oil? I know, but I was literally <laughs> thinking like if you want to, it just shines through in all the research. And I know we we sound like broken records when we say this, but if you want, if you're someone who is new to the food space or you you know that you live a pretty good healthy active lifestyle and you're just looking on ways you can improve your diet for cardiovascular health and you want a good and something that's a good framework to base that off and look at the mediterranean yeah. diet please just yeah. look at it like just use it like obviously your grains can differ depending on your you know gastrointestinal function like you know we but like it's just so full of all these beautiful anti-inflammatory fats it has the right amount of like carbohydrates like jess and i always talk about carbohydrates being so important for cardiovascular and gut health and all of that but it's just the right types and the right quantities good amino acids and definitely keeping your protein up as you age is so important because that's so important for muscle health and growth and cell turnover and all of that. But I just think as a framework, like it just, it, it stands oh, the test of time. 100%. There's like, so much research. I was just having a quick look just to make sure I wasn't lying, but Michaela put up a really good post today on Instagram about like the blue zone Oh, diet yeah, cool. Love, and there's yeah. like a really Remember nice that. little list there of like those common takeaway points she's so, so good with her social media at the oh moment man, isn't, isn't she, she? She's, <laughs> she's I actually need to, yeah she's like cracking some pearls at the moment um <laughs> so if anyone's interested in that like rosemary underscore naturopathy she's got a really good post on the blue zone diet she's got a nice little list there about the foods we're talking about um yeah it's, Fiber, a, it's a real body and it's, it's just so it's just so well researched like i know when i've done stuff with cobram state in the past with as you mentioned extra virgin olive oil like you just you're literally just falling over research all over the place when it comes to mediterranean Even diet and extra virgin olive oil and cardio cardiovascular health, health and driving and down inflammation i keep hitting my head on the microphone well, i know she did that before <laughs> i was like gee she's close to that dunk. um but i just also think too the beautiful thing about the mediterranean diet is it's fiber potential or it's fiber component like we're not taught we're not legumes beautiful whole grains lots of you know veggies and all of that like fiber at the end of the day for your gut even though we're talking about it we we talk about it so much from a gut and a micro point of view like it helps carry out inflammatory sort of you know um byproducts toxic byproducts things that are damaging to beyond stress and inflammation but other things that are damaging systemically and inflammatory to your mm. body like fiber is your fiber and an uninflamed gut is your key to carrying all of that crap out and mm-hmm. even listening to people like that are really up in the plant-based eating space talk like and these guys are vegans like you know like two people they they are still saying the research and i think two people obviously 100 percent plant-based eating doesn't have the longevity studies in it yet that the mediterranean diet does but even they are saying like even if you don't want to be 100 percent plant-based which for a lot of people that's not an option or it's not something they gravitate to and for those people that do if you're doing it healthily well done awesome go for gold be aware of your iron b12 and stuff which we talk about in podcasts but Again, this this focus on Mediterranean style eating, you know, focus on good quality proteins, good quality marine food, (laughs) marine food, sea life. (laughs) 
didn't say fish there. I had to throw some other fucking word in that I made up. <laughs> um, olive oils, like even for them, they're like the research still is backing that Mediterranean style, pescatarian style way of eating. Yeah. You know, like it's just shines through. So beautiful. Yeah. I don't think we can stress enough. I feel like we could just do a no. whole podcast and just on repeat say. We <laughs> all just need to move to the Amalfi Coast and eat off the coastline there. I want to go live on one of those islands like Sardinia or something. Oh, God, yeah. yes. <laughs> The last thing I want to say about the food before we move on is eggs because I don't know I mentioned them before, but it's still to this day I get clients ask me about eggs and saying, am I eating too many eggs? Is it unhealthy to eat this many eggs? What about eggs with cholesterol? It's a, it's a, I'm it's just a real, even speak. I'm sitting here picking at my nails. <laughs> How much I'm sorry. I, my it. polite way of saying it's, it's really at the point where it's become an old wives tale as far as yeah. eggs being detrimental in that way, as far as consuming cholesterol to drive up cholesterol, the amount of eggs you would need to consume to mm. have that sort of effect. Um, realistically, I would also say sort of from a broader perspective from what we see with this space that diet alone as the main reason to drive this area up, um, particularly I'm going to say with just cholesterol, is usually a very small piece of the puzzle. Like most of the time when we see high cholesterol with clients, diet and literally, and I mean that in the sense of you eating too much fat in inverted commas or too much cholesterol Mm. is such the most insignificant piece of the pie. The reason that cholesterol will be high is all of the things we talked about. And from a dietary point of view, it'll be, as Chris was talking about with her dad, it'll probably, well, there was a lot of cheese, but it's all that sugar, refined carbohydrates in our more Australian diet that tends to drive those things up. But eggs have a really bad rap for this. And the, the thing I find so ironic about eggs is that when you have that yolk which has got cholesterol in it it also is really high yeah exactly choline and lecithin which help with breaking cholesterol down and help with using it effectively and it's just it's just a perfect little like little package literally little package so please don't think that eggs are bad because it makes us very sad you literally just made a poem please don't think that eggs are bad it makes us very sad (laughs) (laughs) let's get shirts that say that (laughs) jcn shirts (laughs) oh but yeah that honestly yeah 100 percent agree like so many other things before eggs guys yeah now what about um We'll leave lifestyle to last. Let's actually jump to supplements. Okay, cool. So basically the the take-homes were what not to eat was don't eat shit. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Literally. And we did a podcast on fat last week, so just go listen to that too, please, if you're confused about what fats are good and what fats are bad. Um, Let's talk about supplements. Magnesium, boom, done. Fish oil, boom, done. <laughs> That's pretty much. Iron well, B12 if you need it, boom, done. Coenzyme Q10, especially if you're on a statin, boom, done. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the the main thing here is like it's Such highlighting shit, again that I? individual component, right? <laughs> Like you're right. That's those those things we mentioned are generally going to be your number ones, and particularly depending on if you're on meds or not. Like that will dictate that. But yep. after that, we want to take into a co- into account all of the things we've talked about today. Mm. If we think that your problems are coming from gut inflammation, we're going to be dealing with that with supplements and diet. Yep. If we think that it's coming from stress we're going to be going down that pathway. If we think that there's some genetic factors that we need to be focusing on more, we're going to go there. So it's not a blanket approach, but definitely the like the, the magnesium, again, so much studies about that and how effective that is as far as supporting those muscular contractions and X, Y, Z, the fish oils, the CoQ10, and then, yeah. What was the other one you just said? Oh, B12, of course. B12 iron if it's needed. Yeah. 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 But other than that, we, I know you guys would love us to list a whole lot of more more supplements. I've but got one. To. I've got you? one. I've got one that I definitely use for people that are eating a pretty well-balanced diet and all of that. If they're like, And there's also that, is it familial high cholesterol, like yeah, hypercholesterolemia, yeah, yeah. where just genetically – for, you know, there's, and again, there's a lot of reasons, but like, even I just look at 
our family, my family is a good example for cholesterol and cardiovascular stuff, um, is that there's familiar high cholesterol. So there is that genetic predisposition if you have those upregulated or dialed up, you know, pro-inflammatory responses and um, dis sometimes dysregulation of how cholesterol behaves despite eating a very well-balanced diet, maintaining a healthy body fat percentage and all of that sort of stuff and your cholesterol is still high and you're concerned, you know, and again, this might come down to where or not, whether or not you feel like you your cholesterol sits, it might just sit just outside a healthy you know, the, sorry, the parameters in pathology, but um, vitamin E is amazing. Oh, of good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, like if I've got someone like, for example, like that comes in and they are doing all the right things and I really can't fault their gut health. I can't fault the, they do yoga, their stress and everything's under control, but their cholesterol's still sitting at eight. And they're like, look, my dad had high cholesterol. His grandfather had high cholesterol. They were all on statins. I don't want to be on a statin. My GP's telling mm. me I need to be on a statin, but I'm not a risk. Like I'm making, I've spent my whole life making sure I'm not a risk. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, and I'm like, cool, let's just give you extra. And again, this is where genetic panels can be cool, but let's just give you that extra lot of support and retest in three months. So I go hard with a good quality vitamin E, hard with a good quality fish oil, some coenzyme Q10 just for that extra um, microvascular sort of support, um, some magnesium usually. Um, and... I think that might be sometimes some detox, well, you know, I won't say the product name, but that, 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 nearly, that, nearly nearly did it, but it's, it's some liver support your, people, your favorite. my favorite, but yeah, and I'll just do that for three months and usually you can get cholesterol down for the people that are doing all the lifestyle stuff and their gut health's good and they're managing their stress and, you know, you can't really pick any other inflammatory stuff and their GP really won't give them a reason to do a calcium score, but I'll still push for that anyway. Um, yeah, and you can get it down into the sixes or the high fives. You know what I mean? So there's yeah, just that's, there's that's, that's something thing. cool to do as well. Like for yep. people, if you are that person, and you're like I naturally sit at seven point five, and my GP's ramming a statin down my throat, and I just really don't want to go on one. But I know my dad had really high cholesterol, but I feel like I'm doing all the right stuff. There, you can, there is some beautiful supplements that will just help dial that back in a couple of months for you. And it's just yeah. that extra anti-inflammatory support for whatever reason genetically you need it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Now, lifestyle, last area, pretty big. And probably the biggest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of the things that we have talked about as far as contributing factors really come back to this. I think it's been very heavily discussed about how much stress is an impact. Mm. Um, inflammation, obviously a massive factor, and then how much of that is coming because of the lifestyle. <laughs> that yep. you're, you're, you're living, but definitely stress um, is, is just right up there. And I feel like this is a, we've talked about stress so many times in so many other podcasts, but it's probably one of the hardest conversations to oh, have. It, well, for all of us, right? Yeah. Like even for, like you and I, like we, like we do so much, but like stress is just something sometimes it's, it's the hardest thing. And sometimes the last thing, like you can work on all your internal stress, but that external yeah. stress of how hard you push yourself, how hard you train, how much you take on every day, how you feel, you know, like that is sometimes the hardest thing for people to really address. Mm -hmm. Hands yeah. up right here, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I spend my whole life trying to just, you know, chill the fuck out <laughs> get better i think when we know and we see clients that it is there's such an obvious link like you can really see that link and i, I guess mm. i think back to that client i used earlier on um in regard to their massive stress response and how it was driving up their markers from their, their personally their main one was their bp like there's some pretty serious conversations that you need to be having and looking at what can be changed. And I guess I feel like with this, when you talk about this and try to manage it, it has to be done in a way that works for you. Like you've yeah. got to have that conversation with a client or think about it yourself. Like what, what works for me and how can I make little pockets of my day or little things mm each day that help me just dial it down that little bit because I just feel like it's really unrealistic for us as practitioners or, or then to put on to anyone to think that they can just change things and turn them around like you can't no. quit your job no um you can't you can't, can't make your kids you can't make your kids yeah. behave better <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's so well, you, many things you can. <laughs> 
But I think everyone, when they really think about it, and I know if you would have been the same, had so many conversations about this with clients. Yeah, like, 100%. what can we find that you can do yep. on a daily basis? Or maybe I like to find something on a daily basis with a client, and that might be something as simple as like, 15 to 20 minutes out of their day that they've got that they might be able to like sit and read a magazine or go for a walk or whatever their thing is yep. or might even be five minutes. Yeah. But then I also love to discuss with them what's something I could get you to commit to either weekly or Once monthly. Week, yeah, and that same. might be, can I get you to go to acupuncture? Can I go get you to go and have a massage once a month like what what do you want to do do you like yoga do you like do you like walking along the waterfront do you like like, what do you like take yourself out for breakfast yeah that's exactly yeah yeah, what I do with my clients I'm like look this is what I do but that might not be what you want to do so what is something you really enjoy I had this conversation actually with a client this week and and she's got a high stress job and she literally said to me and she's got two kids still at home and she literally said to me she's like she's like my job I cannot change at the moment and I'm like that's so fine I said I'm we you know what what can we get you to do every day that brings you down and then maybe something on the weekends that is literally two to three hours for yourself and she's like well I like going to the markets and just wandering through I said let's get you to do that with no time restraints like Mm. you know with no pressure to be back and cook breakfast or do that and then or maybe just sit down and have breakfast people watch for half an hour you know and just enjoy that space I said if you do that for two hours on a Sunday every week, just that little bit to bring you down. She's working six and a half days a week at the moment, which is crazy mm. when you think about it, but her job's just that demanding. I'm like, if you can just do that and dial down your stress response at the end of every day for me, whatever that may be, if it's doing all the, you know, the basic sleep hygiene stuff, but, you know, just chucking something into your ears that forces you to breathe, you know, just mm-hmm. anything like long, long term, that is going to mm. be amazing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's just it's just epic. And the other one that kind of flows on to that as far as management goes um, is absolutely moving your body, exercise. Yeah, Particularly, I would throw onto that like resistance style training mm. if you enjoy it. We did another podcast where we had Michelle um, on with us to talk heavily about that. So it's another one we can pop in the show notes. But as far as literally utilizing your cardiovascular system, keeping it robustly moving and fit Mm. and activated on a daily basis, if you are moving and pumping that blood around and getting that heart rate up a little bit and really using that heart muscle like it's it's keeping it just really energized and essentially fit in its own mm. right. So that that movement, what again, what does that look like for you? How do you incorporate that in? Because particularly to go in, back to the stress, if you have a high stress job and you just sit in an office six and a half days a week and then Smash you come caffeine. home, yeah, and you're just like on the couch and it's just like constantly not moving you've just got these layers that are building from a lifestyle Mm. factor and then we start to have more of a propensity to start to tick some of the other boxes we're talking about so again we're not saying you have to do certain types of exercise yes I think it'd probably be a lot more then there's more and more studies going into it with the benefits of resistance style training Mm. but it doesn't have to be that like it can be what what is that thing for you combined with and maybe they come together i know for me um the two of them mesh together like my big stressor is literally that um yeah which is kind of nice but that may not be for the next person yeah exactly yeah some people like they just don't have the capacity to go and do strength training at this time. It doesn't mean that is forever. But if you're someone who's listening to this podcast and at the moment you're like, I have so much I need to change and I miss, I am ticking every cardiovascular box you guys are talking about, start with the foundational stuff of food and start just by getting out and going for a half an hour walk a couple of times yeah. a week. Like if you literally just do that and like what Jess was saying before, like work out ways you can bring your stress response down without having to alter your life in any drastic way because you can't. It just seems too overwhelming at the moment. If you get out and move your body three to four times a week for 30 to 40 minutes, you just prioritize healthy eating in a Mediterranean style way and you just work a way that you can bring your stress response down a couple of five to 10 minutes, maybe a few times a day or even one time a day, once a day to start with. Like over the next five years, if you do just that, your cardiovascular risk has dramatically reduced. 
Mm-hmm. just by changing a couple of lifestyle and food choices and then then bring on the next thing like you're like cool I've got this now I can get into some strength training and I might mm-hmm. focus more on what kind of supplements I can get into my diet I want to better my diet like you don't have to go from doing nothing to everything we've said like cardiovascular risk and cardiovascular function is a long-term game like it's yeah. it doesn't it doesn't fuck up overnight and it doesn't unfuck overnight <laughs> <laughs> Is probably the best way to say it. And if you are someone who who is already in that in the boxes of cardiovascular disease, it is so reversible. Like not yeah. depending on where you're at. I think that's a really that's the thing I love about cardiovascular inflammation and cardiovascular stuff is that just because you have let it go too long doesn't mean you can halt. Doesn't mean you can't halt it in its tracks. If not start reversing and putting the handbrake on and and backing out of that driveway sort of the thing like you really can like you know there's so much there's so much cool research now for reversal of type 2 diabetes and, and even insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome so metabolic syndrome is that classic cardiovascular risk where you have insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes you have that high blood pressure and you have that central adiposity like you tick the three big boxes for cardiovascular risk if you're that person walking around and you're like, well, I'm already too far gone. I'm set up for cardiovascular disease. What can I do? You can reverse it. (laughs) You can literally start today and just start changing a few small things, like change how your insulin responds, change how how your cortisol responds. And, you know, instead of maybe thinking you might only have 20 years left of your life, you could give yourself another 10 years and good quality 10 years or 15 years just by changing a a few things that we've chatted about. So I think that's what's really cool about your heart is that, and that whole vascular system is she's so adaptive to what you decide to do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think just lastly, I would say the changes that we're talking about, it also highlights as always how much the body is a beautiful system mm. and how everything is interlinked. So all of these things we're talking about with the um, specificity towards the cardiovascular system you make these changes like it's a snowball effect like as you just talked about there with metabolic syndrome and these other elements that might be coming in as far as what's going on there or what's going on with your nervous system or what's going on with your gut like if you Mm -hmm. the changes that we're talking about and i think that's where you get so excited yeah like they're not big things but they have profound effects they're massive so yes you will be helping with your cardiovascular health by doing this but you will also be helping every other system of your body. Like mm. it's just that that's the beauty of it. We can fine tune in certain areas and that's what this podcast is about. But really when we come down to the foundations, it's the stuff that you can do little things every day that add up that mean that when you do get into your um, sort of, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s plus that you're not in a world of pain or a world of health issues. Yeah. So, it's very exciting it is very exciting i feel like i feel like fast is just like such a no-brainer the preventative health space and the stuff we do every day but i think for so many people listening that maybe aren't as in love with this preventative health space as what we are like you can do so much for yourself like just uh, without even seeing a nutritionist just being self-aware and self-educated and and making the right choices you know the the majority of the time you don't have to be perfect all the time like you can completely change how your body ages and i think that's you know what's so cool so anyway absolutely well i think that is a good summary before we finish up and go um we usually bring you guys a recommendation each and as usual neither of us have thought about it because i can see the look on chris's face so (laughs) Um, oh, my I problem is haven't that done I, anything I, exciting with my anything everything's just been so, I like, just feel like, like I have recommendations but then when I go to do them because my memory's really bad oh, I'm like have I already told you guys this and then I have to rely on you to tell me so I while well, you're having a little think about it um, I want to recommend a podcast that if Damien's in the vicinity he'll be rolling his eyes because ooh, I've I been like a podcast too actually okay, it's yeah. something I've been like obsessed with the last couple of months um, called Mind Pump. Have I mentioned that? No, not no. Yeah, actually, you would not know to me. if I had. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. So it is three American male trainers, um, PT Mind trainers. Pump. They've all got about, I don't know, like 10 to 20, more like 20 years of experience in training. 
and it is uh, it's a lot of people will probably be like, oh, I know what you're talking about because it's pretty bloody popular. They certainly have a lot more downloads than I'm sure we do. Yeah. Um, but essentially, it's it is training focused. Um, they spend the first part of their podcast more just with general chit chat, but then they answer listeners' questions uh, about mainly training, mainly resistance training, weight training. Um, but then other things related and their knowledge and their down-to-earth attitude and their no-bullshit approach, I just have found so valuable. And also they sell online training sessions, They, um, which is heavily what they're about is like educating people how to train correctly. A lot of actually what we talked to Michelle about when she was yeah, on, like cool. I'm sure she would love them. Um, I've actually... I was talking to Chris before we started, like I've changed what I do with my training. I've been using their programs the last probably four months and it's been a game changer for me. Um, and so they, cool. particularly for females, like I think for anyone, but for, uh, I think w- the education that they provide for females as far as how to train right for you, how to um, train to work to support your metabolism, how to work to support weight loss effectively, just brilliant. So if it sounds like something you're interested in, you'll find instantly if you just type mind pump into your podcast things, it'll pop up. Um, and don't be turned off by like the fact that it's just three big muscly guys. Like it's, I know Carissa would bloody love it. She'd have a ball. They, yeah. oh my God, you know, you know guys, <laughs> I think of you. I just crack up every time when they do talk, they talk about food and nutrition. But when they, when one of them talks about people going wayward with their food or just eating crap in general, even though they, you know, they're like people just eat blah, blah, blah. Anyway, but whenever he refers to people not eating well, he'll go, don't eat like an asshole. <laughs> Literally his term. <laughs> He's trying to give advice. You need to do this, don't eat this, and just don't eat like an asshole. <laughs> like, Scrooge would love this guy. <laughs> Literally. I think I did an Instagram post a while ago and I literally, it was like, don't snack on shit. <laughs> And so many people comment underneath and I didn't think anything of it because it's literally how I speak to people <laughs> and it's literally how I talk to my clients. Like, yeah, you can do it. Just don't eat shit often. Like, you know, <laughs> but yeah, no, actually I'm going to, I'm going to listen to that because that sounds really good. I love, I love people that are like similar to like, obviously when we talk to Michelle, but I spend so much time talking to my clients about training and finding the right type of training and someone if you're going to work with someone or do a program someone that understands the female body and just this this less is more when it comes to training and training properly and it's quantity no sorry quality over quantity like it's just I did a workshop actually I haven't even had a chance to talk to you about this but it was it was so good like I did a workshop last Friday on perimenopause and I was meant to talk for 40 minutes I think I'm speaking for an hour and a half as I do just with questions and getting everyone involved but just there's just still so much confusion for females in the food and training space and I just don't think we can stress enough that calorie restriction extreme calorie restriction sorry I'll correct myself there and this overtraining is not the way forward for the female physique like Mm -hmm. we've just got to fuck this shit off and start looking after our bodies and being respectful of this beautiful vessel that has gotten us this far especially all you I just I just keep saying 35 plus start paying attention like <laughs> you know like and this this workshop was yeah so well received and I think I and the oh, demographic of women that I had in the workshop was great because I had probably I think there was one girl maybe she was a you know maybe around 30s I'm not sure so if she's listening I'm really sorry if I got your age wrong she might even be way younger but I feel like but majority was like our age group like this perimenopause into you know, early menopause, maybe just cracked menopause, like so 35 to maybe 55, I'm picking was the main demographic in that room. Mm-hmm. And there's just, yeah, there's just, there needs to be more conversation in this space. Like we talk about it so much from a nutrition and a stress and a health point of view, but we need more trainers talking about it in terms of, yeah, so hopefully this is what these guys are about because it sounds like it. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So did just, you have a reco before we finish? Yeah, well, if we're talking about podcasts, and I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this as well, I... I've got a couple, actually, a couple of podcasts, one that probably will not resonate with a lot of people, but my friend Tris got me onto it. It's called The Blind Boy Podcast. He's an Irish guy, but he used to be, I think he was in um, 
some like sick, not sitcoms. He used to do like comedy stints or something like that. Um, anyway, he's got a podcast and he's big in the mental health and addiction space over in Ireland. He he's obviously took himself through a lot of that, and he now he just he does a self funded funded podcast, and he just he talks about a lot of just really current topics, and it's just he's he's on his own though, and I just he's really thought provoking his podcast completely. Like he might talk about um, why women don't feel safe you know, in certain environments and how privileged we are, men are to feel safe in certain places. So just his podcasts are always really different. There's obviously things that come up in his own space and just really, yeah, really thought provoking. So Blind Boy Podcast is something I really enjoy listening to outside of the health space. But at the moment, um, apart from nutrition stuff, um, is Rich Roll. I don't know if you listen to any Rich Roll podcasts. I know his name, but I haven't listened to it. Maybe because I've chatted to him. Yeah, because I've been listening to him for a couple of years on and off. And I go, yeah, as you do with podcasts, you go in and out of spaces and things like that. But I'm back on the Rich Roll podcasting at the moment. So he's amazing. He's um, a guy, I think he's in his 50s. His wife is quite famous as well. Julie, I won't say her name wrong, but she brought out a range of vegan cheeses. Um, oh, oh, anyway, Julie something, but sorry. <laughs> Anyway, his podcast is really cool. I just find, yeah, same thing, very thought-provoking. They have a different, couple of different things. He has amazing guests on his podcast, like just people from all different walks of life. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. That's, cool, cool. That's who I listen to a lot of when I'm not, not binging on. Blind Boy's definitely a, an acquired taste. I'm yeah. going to say, like, I don't think that podcast will be for everyone. Um, I really like it because he's just no bullshit, no filter, and we'll just talk about things as they are yeah. and his thoughts around process, like, things. So, I, But I really enjoy it. He cracks me up the way – just even even when if anyone does look at his podcast picture, you will laugh your ass off. You'll be like, what is Carissa listening to? <laughs> um, and just even listening to him, if you don't like a lot of swearing and cutthroat comments, don't listen to it. Like, probably wouldn't be listening to me if you didn't. So. <laughs> But he's very to the point and he, he doesn't worry about any – he just says it how it is. So I really enjoy what he has to say. But Rich Roll is very different in the sense that he's probably more on that calming, earthy sort of, you know, really mm. like let's explore stuff outside of mainstream and a lot of his – yeah. But he's right into – yeah. Anyway, they're my two. They're my, that's why I binge when I'm not listening to all the health crap that we'd listen to. I shouldn't say crap, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, I'm gonna pop. I will pop these in the show notes so people there can go, go. And suss them out. Yeah, suss them out too. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening. I hope you got some good pointers out of this. So we would love it as always if you can share the podcast. Yep. Uh, usually, the best way to do that is on good old Insta. Give us a shout out. Um, love a good pic of you listening to the podcast too. That's always really warm and fuzzy. And yeah. If you can leave us a review, that would be amazing. But other than that, uh, thanks for joining us. And thanks we'll for catch listening. you next time, hey? Look after the ticker and we'll see you next week, next time. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw it in there. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm dying to say that. <laughs>